Sometimes we think that finding God's will is a mission impossible. Sometimes we think we can't do it. We can't get there. We don't know what it means. What if God calls me? What if God calls us? How's it, how are we supposed to pull this off? It seems like it's a mission impossible. But to get God's will done in your life, you gotta, you got to light the fuse, just like in, in the beginning of those Mission Impossible movies. And the fuse gets lit, and it starts burning and burning, and all the different pieces get connected. And all the different pieces of your life have to get connected so that you can be God's will and live God's will and do God's will and find God's will. So here's the question. Where do you need to know God's will? Where do you need to know God's will right now? Think about it. There's an area of your life. There's a place in your life. Maybe it's coming up tomorrow. Maybe it's coming up this week. Maybe it comes up before the end of the year. Maybe there's a hope. Maybe there's a dream. Where do you need to know God's will? Find God's will. Live God's will. Be overwhelmed by God's will. There are some false assumptions some false assumptions of God's will. God's will will always make you feel better. Mm, mm, mm. Not true, not true, never has been. God's will won't be difficult. Mm, mm. It's probably going to be difficult, maybe more difficult than you could have imagined. God's will won't take sacrifice of epic proportions. God's will won't take a long time. God's will is done by someone else. I'll just sit back and wait till someone else does it. So God calls somebody else. All false assumptions. God's will doesn't ask hard questions. They may be simple questions, but they may be deceptively hard in their simplicity. God's will always shows you the results first. You get to see the results, and then you can jump into it. God doesn't work that way. Condoleezza Rice once put it this way in terms of God's will in her life. She said, I've always allowed for guidance through ambiguity. I've always allowed through guidance through ambiguity. In other words, she doesn't get all the answers. She doesn't know, she doesn't see the end result, but she knows that she's a God that she can trust in so she can keep moving. God's will doesn't need strategic planning. It needs a lot of strategic planning. God's will isn't scientific or architectural or artistic. It's all of that and even more. So I want to talk to you this morning about God's will. And I want to tell you my first amazing story. It's the story of Gideon. And it's amazing in its depth of understanding what God's will is and what it was for Gideon and what it can be and might be for each and every one of us today. So I take you to Judges chapters 6, 7, and 8 if you want to read the story later. But right now, I want to tell you the story of Gideon. The land had been quiet for 40 years. Everything was going smooth. But then things, then things turned and got real bad real fast. Invaders came. They took everything. We lived on whatever we could scrape together. And I knew it was because we weren't living 
close to God. We, we knew better than to live the way we were living. And this had happened in a cyclical way in our country for a long time. But I was still very, very sad to see this, the devastation, the heartache, the brokenness. We were living in, in caves. We were just trying to, to scrape together anything we could to survive. I was so sad. And one day, I went to work. It was just a normal go-to-work kind of a day. I was trying to grind some grain, make some bread, going to work. Just very quiet, nothing happening, nobody there but me. And suddenly, I don't know how to explain it, but God was there with me. And God said something to me I didn't understand. Oh, mighty warrior. Oh, mighty warrior. What does that even mean? I'm not a warrior. I just get up and I go to work every day. I'm an ordinary guy. I'm afraid most of the time. I usually don't know what's happened. I'm the last one to get a clue. Oh, mighty warrior. I don't even know what a warrior looks like. I've heard stories, but it's not me. I'm not a mighty warrior, but God said to me, oh, mighty warrior. And I just sort of poured out all the whys that were on my heart. Why are things so bad? How come everybody just runs over us, takes stuff from us? How come we're just scared and stuck and, and we don't know what to do? And, and going back to the time in, in Egypt, you, you got everybody out of Egypt okay, but why? It seems as if you've left us here to be destitute and desolate. Why, God? Why? God said, okay, you want to know the answer to why? The answer to why is you. I'm going to use you to restore this nation. I'm going to use you to restore your village. I'm going to use you to restore everybody. I have shown up here so that you would do my will and live my will, and I will change everything through you. But what would you do if something like that happen. You just, you just went to work. Tomorrow morning, you go to work, and, and God shows up, and God says, oh, mighty warrior, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? Well, I was going to just go home and watch Monday Night Football. What are you going to say? So I decided, I decided I am going to take a risk. I'm going to make a bold move, and I went to the middle of my village where there was an altar where people worshiped a false god. In other words, they were, they were giving themselves to an inanimate object that could do nothing for them. And they were in worship to that. They were making that the, the cultural north star of their lives. And I tore down that place of worship. And then I went to another place of worship that was a tall wooden pole where people were, were kind of giving their, their lives and their futures to. And I cut down that pole. And then I chopped up that pole. And I made a sacrifice. And I burned a sacrifice. And I tore all this down. And the smoke was still rising. And the ashes were still smoldering in the morning. Because I did this at night. I didn't want anybody to see me. I don't, I'm still, I'm not sure what I'm doing. And I don't want anybody to know my name. But the grapevine worked just as well then as it does today. And by morning, people were going, who did this? We want his head. Who did this? And somebody said, it was Gideon. It was Gideon. They, they knew him. Word got around real fast. And they said, bring him out here because we want his head. If it wasn't for my father intervening, I would have been dead. But my father came out 
spoke very gently to everyone, helped everybody to understand that this was a futile way to live and that I was trying to point them to something better, something bigger, something that, that would change everything and would secure our history. And they believed him and they realized, they had this, this moment of insight where they realized that the wool had been pulled over their eyes and they had walked away from worshiping the God of their fathers and their mothers and the God who brought them out of Egypt, that great story of the Exodus. So this, this turning point came and the stage was set and I realized I was the one. I was the one. But I needed to know. How do you know God's will? How do you know for sure? So I devised this, this little ritual. I'm not necessarily recommending it. You might think it's kind of silly, but I got a, a fleece from a sheep, and I, I decided to put it down, and I said, God, if it really is your will, if you're, if you're calling me, I'm going to leave this fleece out here overnight. And if in the morning the fleece is wet and the ground is dry, then I will know that you are sending me. I know it sounds kind of silly, but it's all I could think to do. I had to be sure. In the morning, I got up, I ran there, and the fleece was soaking wet and the ground was dry. I was scared. Anxiety just welled up within me. I, I, I wasn't yet ready to give myself fully. I said, God, please don't be mad at me, please, but let, let me do this one more time. I'll put the fleece out, and then overnight, you make the ground wet, and you leave the fleece dry, and then I'll really know. And God said, well, okay, we can do that. We can do that, Gideon. And so that's what happened. I went to sleep. I got up. I ran there, and there it was. The ground was wet. The fleece was dry. And so now I know I am the one. I'm the one that God has chosen to do his will. It was time. It was time for something amazing to happen. So I got together an army. I mean, if you're going to wipe out a whole group of people that have devastated your nation, and you've been scared of them for years and years and years, you better have a big army. So I got together an army, 32,000 men. 32,000. I said, God, we can wipe them out with 32,000. God said to me, too many. Tell everyone who's afraid to go home. God, tell everyone who's afraid to go home. So I made an announcement. Anyone who doesn't want to go into battle, if you're afraid to any level, any degree, you can go home now. 22,000 left. Gone. They went home. Now I got 10,000 in my army. So I'm thinking, this is still pretty good. I got 10,000. I can make this happen with 10,000. God said, too many. I said, oh, he said, too many. This is what we're going to do. Tell everybody to go down to the stream and get a drink. And we're going to have a little test. The test is this. Whoever drinks the water like a dog would drink water, lapping it up with his tongue, those are the ones that we're going to go with. I said, really? He said, the ones that drink like a dog. So I sent everybody down. I said, okay, take a break. Go down to the stream, get a drink. And I watched, and everyone who laughed with, with their tongue, I set them aside. And now I have 300 men. And God said, good, we're going to go with the 300. And I'm thinking, no, how can we do this? They have thousands, they have tens of thousands, and we're going 300. But God put a plan in my mind. 
And that plan was very, very simple. But I felt like it could really turn the tide, could get us the victory. I got everybody broken into three groups of 100. I gave everybody a bugle, a trumpet. I gave everybody a jar, a clay jar. We put uh, a, a torch inside of that jar. And I got them all positioned around the camp of the enemy. And in the middle of the night, in the middle of the night, when I gave the signal, we all charged and we yelled and we blew the trumpets. We smashed the jars. And so they didn't know what hit them. They got up in the middle of the night, started running into each other. They didn't know if they were the enemy or they were their, their selves. And, and they just, they ran for their very lives because of the sound of the, the, the trumpets and the sound of the broken shards of, of clay and the, the light flashing in front of their eyes. And we took the victory. It was amazing. I got to live an amazing story of God in my life. I got to do God's will with my life. And I wish I could say that that continued for the rest of my life, but it didn't. It kind of got the best of me. I took some gold that was given to me as a, like a tribute, and I made an image out of that gold, and I set that up in my village. I, I thought this can remind us of something that we all did together, but all it did was to bring us down again. It brought us to the point where we started worshiping the gold image, and we started to think that that's the power and that's the glory, and somehow God started to fade out of the picture of our lives so that by the time I died, we were back to square one again. I had, I had, I had touched the very garment of God's will. I had put it around me. I had felt the warmth of God's will around my soul, but I was not able to sustain it with my life. Not too long ago, I was challenged with a question. How will God judge us? How will God judge us? It's a question that doesn't often get asked, but it's a good question. How will God judge us? And three answers came after the question. By how much light of truth did we know? How much light of truth did we know? We have the fullness of God's truth in the Bible. We have the fullness of God's truth in the face, in the heartbeat, in the life of Jesus Christ. How much of God's truth did we know? Second, how much opportunity did we have? How many opportunities did we have to do something amazing? How many opportunities did we have to change people's lives, to change a little corner of the world? And finally, what did we do with what did we do with it? How much light of truth did we know? How much opportunity did we have? What did we do with it? Good questions and good answers. When it comes to God's will, we have an opportunity to understand something that can profoundly change everything about who we are and where we're going in our lives. And after telling you the story of Gideon and reflecting on God's will and how God has, has taught me his will 
in my life, I'd like to tell you what I know about God's will. It's not a mission impossible, although sometimes it looks that way. It's not a mission impossible, although sometimes it looks that way. I remember when we started 25 years ago at the Art Center, and uh, there were less than 100 of us in the auditorium, and there we were starting out to be a church living at the intersection of sacred history and secular culture, a church trying to bring faith and life together, a church trying to reach seekers and build believers, and, and we weren't sure really, I wasn't sure really where we're going and, and what this was going to all turn out to be. It took me about two full years to kind of sort that out and figure that out. It's not a mission impossible, although sometimes it looks that way. In the beginning, it always looked that way, which kept me always looking up. It kept all of us always looking up so that we would recognize God when he was showing up. And God's will is not a mission impossible. It's a mission possible because of who he is. It's not who we are and what we're doing. He does things above and beyond what we can do. How did we get from there, from such humble beginnings, to where we are now? It's because he is who he is. He does what he does. And when you take that and put it into an equation, if he could do that, when we had church in a truck, everything packed up, going into a van, a truck, and uh, going into somebody's garage, and get us here, then guess what? He could take us from here and get us where he wants us to be in the future too. It might look impossible, but it's not because of who he is. It's about us giving ourselves to him the way Gideon gave himself to him. It's not a mission impossible, although sometimes it looks that way. God's will takes everybody being on the same page. God's will takes everybody pulling in the same direction. It's what it takes. It can't be a bunch of spurious opinions. It can't be, well, I want this, and I want that, and I think this, and I think that. It'll just stymie us. It'll just bog us down. And, and that's the way society is. Well, here's my opinion. Well, here's what I think. Well, you have to do it the way I want it to be done. Well, I'm not voting for that. I'm going to vote for this. And I'm, I'm, just not, I'm not even going to vote. I'm not going to come. I'm not going to show up because I'm not getting my way. Society lives this out all the time. But the church cannot afford to live this out. God's people cannot afford to live this out. But somehow over time, it tends to creep its way because of culture it tends to creep its way sometimes into Christian communities. And people say, well, I really wanted it this way. Well, I think it should be that way. Well, if I was doing it, I would have made this decision. And there's really no place for that. It's a humble coming together to know that if we all get on the same page, if we all pull in the same direction, God can do amazing things. Does that mean we all get what we want all the time? It certainly doesn't. I don't get what I want all the time. Does that mean you make compromises that have integrity? Yes, it means we make compromises that have integrity. But everybody on the same page and everybody pulling in the same direction and God does something amazing. God's will is about a future impact God is doing through you. God's will takes time 
strategic planning, artistic inspiration, and passionate prayer. Passionate prayer reminds me of Judges chapter 7, verse 15. Check out the verse later. Gideon's about to go into this battle. He's about to do the whole blow the trumpets, smash the, the jars, start yelling and run in. But before he does that, he says, I kneeled down to pray. He was on his knees praying with, with a passion. And if there's not a place in your life today that you're on your knees praying passionately about something, then think about where that could be in your life, what you could be so passionate about that you would have no, no other place to go but to be on your knees for a moment or for three minutes or for any amount of time that shows God how much you need him in that particular endeavor to do his will in your life. So Gideon gets down on his knees. He has passionate prayer. But I also said something, and you maybe caught it, and you maybe said, why did you put that in there? Artistic inspiration. I put in that God's will takes time, strategic planning, artistic inspiration, and passionate prayer. Artistic inspiration came from something that I experienced Wednesday night. Wednesday night I went to an orphan network event at the Chrysler Museum. And we, we got to see the works in an exhibit of an artist named Vic Muniz. He was born in Brazil. He now lives in New York City. And he does amazing artistic representations. This one here is from a series he did of people who actually live and work in a garbage dump. Everything besides this woman's face and maybe her earring, although I'm not sure about her earring, but everything other than that is garbage. And he did that to symbolize these people are living out their lives with all the integrity that they can live in the middle of garbage. Let's keep moving. So we got these other parts of the exhibit. Here's a, here's a guy. And look at the intensity in his eyes. And everything on his head is garbage. Just look at him. Look right through us. Everything on his head is garbage. He's living that. That's how he makes a living. That's how he takes care of his family. Vic Muniz, he decided that as an artist, God gave him this gift. And what he wanted to do was give it back to God so he will take his pictures. This is a picture where everything in white is sugar. And it explores the, the plight of people who have to work in the fields to get sugar cane just to eke out a meager living. And so he uses all these different forms, artistic forms, to show that, that God has given him a gift. He's giving it back to God because when he sells this artwork, when he auctions off the artwork, what does he do? It's God's will for him to put that money back into the poor, back into their communities, to see their lives changed, to see their lives encouraged, to see their lives take on some form of hope. You see, God's will has artistic inspiration that's like an engine. God's, word, God's will has passionate prayer that's like an engine. It takes time and strategic planning. You put that together, the engine of God's will is driven by the very heartbeat of our souls. God's will takes personal sacrifice. Sacrifice. God's will takes humility and passionate action. It's not, well, I'll wait until somebody else does it. I'll wait till somebody else steps into that. God's will is over and above our will. 
It's over and above our will. God's will will radicalize your life. I told this story at communion in the first ser- after the first service because it just it came to me and I remembered when, when Gail and I moved to Portland, Oregon to start seminary 1977. Our daughter Ashley was just a year old and I, I really wanted to embark on a course of study that would lead me to being a Christian psychologist. That's why I went to seminary. And so we got to the seminary and, and I started working part-time and Gail was working and uh, and I was taking classes to be a Christian psychologist, and I went to see my advisor. My advisor said, Michael, it'll take you six years at this rate to get through this program, to get the PhD. And I, my head just fell as I realized I didn't have the time for that. And so I went home to tell Gail. And I said, Gail, I don't think I'm supposed to be a Christian psychologist. And she said, Well, I knew that. You're not supposed to be a Christian psychologist. You're supposed to be a pastor. And I went to to one of my advisors and I said, Dr. Hughes, this is kind of what I've come up against. He says, Michael, everything in your life says you're supposed to be a pastor. You just don't think you want to be that. You've got a picture in your mind of what that looks like. But take that picture away and know that God could use you to be a pastor the way He's made you. You see, God's will is over and above our will. And all we can ultimately do is his will. He has radicalized my life by making that decision to honor his will. God's will never ends. This is what I know. God's will never ends for us here until we arrive in the kingdom that has no end, where you do just... God's will like breathing all the time. And so those are the things that I know about God's will. But here's the question. It comes down to this question. Where do you need to know God's will? Where do you need to know God's will today? Be honest about that with yourself. Where do you need to know his will? How will God judge us? By how much light of truth did we know? By how much opportunity did we have? By what did we do with it? Gideon's story is an amazing story, but even Gideon fell at the end and missed the mark. We have an opportunity to embrace doing God's will together as a church. We have an opportunity to let God's will flow into our hearts and minds to accomplish things greater than we can ever understand, but we have to let it surround us we have to breathe it in we have to live it out we have to know it takes strategic planning and passionate prayer and artistic expression we have to know that we all have to be on the same page we all have to pull in the same direction but if we will do that then you and i together we can live an amazing story and so i call you into that kind of a life to live your life as an amazing story of God's will being done with us on earth as it is in heaven. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for challenging us to do your will. We thank you for such a clear, amazing story of Gideon's life and how that profoundly impacts our lives today. Father, allow us to live 
in the moments of glory where your will and our lives become fused into one great light, which is Christ reaching out to save the whole world, Father, because of your love and your grace. Oh, Heavenly Father, do something amazing in us today. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.